0: welcome back to women get lit and today's episode female solidarity queer reading of nella larson's passing in today's episode i'll be speaking with professor susan ruddy her work and research interests focus on contemporary and experimental poetry queer feminist theory and women's experimental writing our discussion will center around susan's most recent work genders onto formativity or refusing to be spat out of reality, within which she discusses the works of lesbian poet Nicole Brozard. In today's discussion, the primary text we will be discussing is Passing by Nell Larson. Passing tells the story of two black women, Claire and Irene. The novella focuses primarily on the woman's performative ability to pass as white, wishing to navigate a more privileged life. Now, I was inspired to take upon this subject of queer literature and theory, thinking of passing in particularly, after reading Judith Butler's essay, in which they discussed the suppressed queer feelings between Irene and Claire. And initially, I found the idea very striking, since when I first reading Larson's novella, I was... So consumed and concerned, internalized misogyny and the hatred and jealousy between the two women, thinking the desire to not only perform but become the white woman in order to lead a privileged life, completely suppress their identity that they've been taught is something to be ashamed of. Obviously, I did notice the extreme rivalry between the two, but I never thought of reading or interpreting it through a queer lens and I went down a big rabbit hole thinking okay well i haven't been exposed to that much queer theory and i became interested in just discovering queer theory and its relationship to feminist readings their relationship with literature and is it something that we could be discussing together queer theory and feminist theory is it something that's almost interchangeable and if we speak about one we will be speaking about the other. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: I'm originally from Canada. I've been in London since 2011. Mm -hmm. I've always sort of talked women's writing, feminist writing, and theory. I've always been interested in literary theory. I've probably always been interested in what we now call queer theory, but back in the 80s and 90s, we didn't call it that. I also have been a writer since I was... 20-something, but I've just come back to writing again now that I don't teach full-time anymore. Since 2016, I'm pulled back from full-time academic work, so I direct a centre at Queen Mary, just about to turn into a centre for contemporary writing, and I teach some creative writing courses at Birkbeck, and I do my own work, which is sort of a wonderful stage of one's academic life. (laughs) Yeah, sounds
0: very exciting. (laughs) So I read your most recent article,
1: yeah. It's a really tough one, good for
0: you. Yeah, (laughs) it was really interesting. You talked about a lot of things. In there, and one of the things that I remember you mentioning was the fear of heteronormity.
1: Heteronormativity,
0: yeah. yeah. And I don't
1: know yeah. if I call it a fear, though.
0: Maybe not a fear, but
1: um, it's the pervasiveness.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you suggest cis lesbian women at times adopt a masculine portrayal not to be associated with heterosexuality, yeah. whilst trans women have to project feminine traits. To be accepted by feminists? Not by feminists, but by society. Oh, by society. Yeah,
1: because, you know, our society has such rigid gender role Mm -hmm. around who gets recognised as which. And we, in society in general, when you're waiting for the bus or, you know, walking into a shop, people want to make a decision like that. Is this a boy or a girl? It's almost like this abrupt kind of categorising that society feels compelled to do. Mm. And if you can't easily be read as one or the other, a lot of people get quite badly treated in this mm. society still. So I think what I realized, that peaked are talking article for feminist theory. It came out of anxiety that I actually felt in my own academic work, because I'd always identified as a lesbian since I came out, which was late in life when I was 45. And I didn't actually see any problem with the category of lesbian. In fact, it was something that took me a long time to actually be able to claim. I remember in the 1980s it being a terrifying word, because it was a scary, scary place that I never sort of encountered as a young person, and all the language around being lesbian in the 1970s and 80s was so monstrosity, this kind of despised existence, so why would it be something you would claim? The word queer, too, was like that until very recently. So I found myself at the age of 50-something, suddenly realizing that lesbian was now being associated with really terrible treatment of trans people, and I thought, how can this word, which has been so meaningful for me, and this identity, which has been so liberating for me to be associated with ways of being in the world that are so hateful. I couldn't get my head around it. So like I always do when I'm about to try to take on a difficult topic, I thought, okay, I'm going to just read work by trans women and compare it to the work I know by lesbians and see if there's something I can learn there. Because a lot of this hateful behavior was actually happening in real life, at least as it's reported in the scrolls of Twitter. So I wrote this academic paper to try to understand, mm. actually because I had a feeling that we probably had more in common because mm. the ways trans women were being treated, I could see that it reminded me of the ways I saw lesbians being treated when I was really young. So I enjoyed this paper. I work by a trans woman, one trans woman from big city in New York now, and then um, somebody who'd been very important to me, um, a Montreal writer named Nicole Broussard, who's writing in French in Montreal, cosmopolitan, very accepting kind of community. Montreal in the 70s, New York now apparently very accepting of alternate identities and yet very difficult places for people to try to make lives in in some ways still. That's what was behind it.
0: So what inspired you to take upon the study of feminist queer theory? And how come, because you do link it with poetry, and in the article as well, you give examples of uh, poets. So how did that idea and that combination come about? It's a
1: really good question. I think it's because poetry is always a little queer. Poetry is about how language doesn't mean just one thing. You can't read poetry if you think that words are obvious in terms of what they signify or what they could signify or how putting words together, you always get more meaning the more closely you look at poems, which is why I've always been drawn to poetry because it always felt to me like there was meaning that wasn't obvious when you looked at a poem and that the work of the reader of a poem is actually to see all the meanings that are available there. So I came to feminist readings first because it also seemed to me that in poetry particularly in earlier periods when women couldn't actually be overt about their desires or the way they wanted to be in the world emily dickinson back in the 19th century said tell the truth but tell it slant in poetry you can sort of tell the truth but not everyone's going to see what you're saying only those who can sort of decipher it maybe you can see more meaning there so it seemed to me that if you really wanted to understand women's lives you're going to find more truth and more honesty in poetry because women would be safer writing poetry because it might not mean what people thought of it. Yes, I agree. And then with queer, I think the same thing. I think queer, I actually was sort of more post-structuralist before I was a feminist, my interest in poetry, because I thought there's more meaning. There's not less meaning. Things are much more ambiguous than we think. But then I had small children, and then I was trying to work and have small children, and I realized there are really massive inequalities, and people who are identified as female at birth are treated really differently than people who arbitrarily are identified as male at birth, and that was just inequitable. I had to get behind the feminist agenda. So queer, I think I've always been interested in queer in the sense of multiply meaningful, many possibilities. On things not being obvious and poetry is like that too.
0: <laughs> yeah I really love that definition of poetry I think it really encapsulates what it is to read poetry and analyze poetry. So do you think we should be reading women's literature based on women's relationship with each other or the men
1: are trying to separate themselves from? First of all I don't think we should do anything I think we we could be drawn to many kinds of writing for many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have to, as readers, sort of really be interested in why we want to read this and not that. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, when you're students, like somebody says, read all of this and kind of have to. But just sort of register for yourself oh, I really love this Nella Larson, which I know you've read, but yes. I really didn't like whatever else that you didn't like. And try to come to terms in your own mind with what it is you've liked. To- is it the form? Is it the questions the writer's asking? Is it the way the writer is asking the questions? So first of all, be curious about what you like. I don't think there's any shows. I mean, especially in the world we live in, how you could be reading anything you want. Or you could read whatever you want. The other question around, I don't think that feminists want to get rid of men. Feminists want women to be able to be who they are, how they are, where they are, fairly. And actually, I think that's what the feminism is about.
0: Remind me of the question, Mom, that, that part of the
1: question.
0: Should we be reading women's literature based on women's relationship with each other or the men they're trying to...
1: What makes you think that feminists are trying to get rid of men?
0: Oh, I'm not suggesting no. feminists are getting rid of men, but more, I think, women trying to talk about women's issues and female solidarity. And should we read those kind of books or should we read books that also involve I men? I think
1: the more you read work by feminists and lesbians and queer people the more you realize that most of them are taking on all of that stuff there's a wonderful lesbian writer named Jane Rule who is very queer she was writing since the 70s very political she wrote about relationships with men and women in very complicated ways since the 70s even though she was a political lesbian Mm -hmm. I think that people who take these issues on take them on in terms of the, the level of society where we try to understand why it is that it's so hard for women to be in solidarity with each other, how that lack of trust between women gets produced by society, how women are taught to trust relationships with men more, even though women more often get hurt in relationships with men. In terms of the reading, I don't think there's a should, but in terms of what we find in the writing, we can find many things in the writing, and the more a writer, the longer they write, and the more, and this is my experience, I think the more engaged they are with community and social justice, the more you'll see that they're taking on all of those questions. And it's hard for me to separate them out. I mean, obviously, if you just started writing, you might have one book about one thing. But the more you read people who have really long careers, the more you see that these things are so interconnected.
0: do correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I read in your article and from what I understood you suggest that cis lesbians and trans women's relationship to men is threatening to their identity? Not at all. No. Where did you see that? Do you want to show me where you saw it? I did try to read through all I can see that you did. We have so much in common, cis lesbians and trans women. We walk through the world knowing that others may not see us as women, really. Indeed, we may not see ourselves as women, though we do not wish to be, and are often at risk when we are seen as men.
1: Yeah, so, and how did you understand that? Just so I- My take
0: was that cis lesbians and trans women find men threatening to their identity.
1: No. The society doesn't accept people who don't easily fit into a category. So, if I look at you and I read you as, I think, a woman, and say you're wearing really short shirt, shorts and you're sitting on the subway with your legs open, and I suddenly see that you have a penis you might be really under threat because somebody might beat you up because of that. Mm -hmm. And that happens to people are read one way. And suddenly somebody decides you're not what I thought you were. And what I'm saying here is that this is what we have in common. Cis lesbians and trans women don't really want to be seen as women in an uncomplicated way. Like cis lesbians, the category of woman is so problematic because it seems so limiting I mean, women are so much more complicated than what society allows us to think we are. And that's true for trans lesbians, too. But we don't want to be seen as men. So what happened? For mm-hmm. example, I was in the boots and I had on a track suit. And I had my rucksack on and I was just wearing like really loose clothes. And somebody called me sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I stood up and they saw that I had breasts and said, oh, sorry. But if I was trying to pass as a man in a way that would give me more authority, I might be really at risk. Trans men often have this experience of they're read as men and they're passing as men and someone assumes they're a man and suddenly being in a washroom and suddenly being seen to have a vagina puts you at a lot of risk and that's the problem with society because society's ideas about what our bodies should be like is so narrow society's ideas about what gender should be like i.e only two is so narrow that's what i was trying to do does that help yeah but that's help a lot good. really good question really glad you asked
0: so you talk about 70s feminists and that they did not wish to include trans women and that's in not their even discussion.
1: True. No, the trans women were included in 1970s discussion of feminism. Okay, that's something that's sometimes not represented accurately now. It's as though trans women were just invented five minutes ago. But trans women have been at the front of gay liberation movements since mm. the 60s. But maybe what you were talking about is that there's a way in which the situation of trans women now. Reminds me of how okay. cis lesbians were treated in the 70s in terms of okay. being monstrous and outside of the acceptable and misunderstood and mm. actually vilified.
0: So you mentioned two writers lesbian poet Nicole Brosard yeah. and trans lesbian poet Trace
1: Peter Sof, Peterson. Yeah. Why them? Well, I've read a lot of poets and I guess. Partly, I didn't want them to be vastly different in terms of age. I didn't want it to look like, oh, this is just a huge generational difference. But I also didn't want them to be the same age. I wanted them to be people who were just coming into their own as poets When, in terms of work I was looking at. I also wanted them to be sort of metropolitan poets, poets who have a lot, lot of opportunity to be in gay communities. And uh, Trace Peterson at the time that this piece we're looking at came out was Living in New York. Nicole Brossard was living in Montreal when this piece came out, and there was something about their work that reminded me of each other. Sometimes mm-hmm. that just feels intuitive, <laughs> and so I thought it'd be really interesting to compare them. And also, I think that they both refused to be vilified. They both said, uh, "Here I am. I'm a lesbian. Just deal with it." And when it was completely socially unacceptable to say that, Nicole said, Brossard said, and did that in her work and in public and repeatedly and in the present that was in the 70s and she's had a long career since then she's still writing and Trace Peterson similarly said I'm a trans woman just get over it this is what I am this is what I'm writing about and so they reminded me of each other in terms of their resistance Mm. to um, being silenced Mm. they just refused to be silenced
0: so Broussard's work is known to challenge masculine-oriented language, mm-hmm. would you say? Mm-hmm. And in your article, you mention the discomfort she created by just existing and having combined the two identities of the mother and the lesbian. And that idea really striked me because I never thought that that would have been an issue at the time. Why not? I don't know. I just feel being a mother seems so very natural to women mm-hmm. in general. And it I felt strange that a woman being a lesbian would somehow distort that natural identity I'd say
1: for me that's a really good point because do you know that women were they lost their children when they came out as lesbians yes I read that
0: in your article and that was another thing that really striked me because I've never heard about that either
1: you were actually at risk you you came out as a lesbian after having been in a heterosexual relationship with children yeah Um, I even read a book about two weeks ago about a woman who had that happen to her now, in France, like she came out as a lesbian. She was a lawyer, a mm-hmm. very professional woman, came out in her 40s, had a child who was maybe eight, mm-hmm. and um, her husband got a court order that said that he wasn't allowed to live with her. So that happens even now. And the whole idea of motherhood being natural has really been critiqued by feminists too mm-hmm. because it's part of the sort of ideology of care in our society that it's women's job to look after everybody, yeah. including children. <laughs> and a lot of feminists have really challenged that. There's a wonderful book by Adrienne Rich called Of Woman Born, Motherhood as Experience and Institution. And Adrienne Rich was a poet. I don't know if you run across her. She just died a few years ago. She started writing in the... 40s but wrote until the early 2000s really important feminist theorist came out as a lesbian in later life wrote about that wrote about being a mother and she said that there's a vast difference between her experience of being a mother and what society told her of being a mother was like and she wrote about this, and what society told her of being a mother was like she wrote about this in this great kind of it's a creative critical book. We use that language now, but she was doing that in the 1980s. And she critiqued society for assuming, first of all, that all women would want to be mothers, or would be good at being mothers, or would enjoy being mothers, <laughs> and also the care capacity and all. So the whole institution of motherhood has been critiqued by feminists, but also because the rules of engagement in a society are not set by mostly by women women were at risk of losing their children when they came out as lesbians. She's got this book that I'm talking about here called yes. These Are Mothers. In French, it's much more complicated, and it, it talks about the word mother in French is la mer, and that also means the sea. It, it's a different spelling, but it sounds the same. The word la mer means the sea. It means the mother. And, and L apostrophe, A-M-E-R, means like love in a really broad way. She was dealing with what she said was the most, I guess, familiar experience in many women's lives, which is having a child at the same time as she was dealing with this completely unexpected experience of she fell in love with this other woman when she mm-hmm. had a small child. And she just was struck by how dissonant that was, this unexpected Experience happening at the very same time as this completely expected and naturalized experience, not natural, and made to seem to be natural. That's what she was writing about at a time when it was completely almost unthinkable to say. I saw her give a talk once in the 1980s in French, and she was talking about how dangerous the word lesbian was, and it mm. felt like that. It felt really scary. It felt like if you claim that identity, you might lose everything, including your children.
0: <laughs> mm. Would you call it a dual identity?
1: I would call it a conflicted identity. We have more than one identity. Most of us do. We experience them as dual, do we? We experience them as sometimes in conflict. Like, I have two grown daughters. They're not children. They're in their 30s. I have grandchildren. But I'm also an intellectual. And it's not like, my partner's Welsh, but we also have lived in Canada together. So I have British citizenship, I have Canadian citizenship. But that doesn't even feel conflicting. It's easy for me to travel across those identities. It's not so easy to travel across the mother intellectual identity. That's more like a conflicted identity, space because I don't get a free pass either way, because they cost each other things that are really complicated.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess Broussup mentions motherhood shaped her solidarity with women. Yeah, that's exactly what Which it I was. thought was really... Interesting. Do you think this is true for most
1: queer writers?
0: Which part? Motherhood shaping their solidarity with I women. I
1: would say that most queer writers don't have children or don't mm. talk about it. So I think that actually is, is is an issue. I think there's a real complicated relationship between queer and women because we've got a no category now, like vague, non-binary, and which I completely embrace. But it hasn't changed the way that, women who were assigned the category of woman (laughs) and don't identify as they aren't still treated much more terribly than anyone who was assigned male at birth or be identified as a man. I think that's true in trans stuff too. It's really complicated. And why is it that trans women get all the attention around? Because trans women don't pass as easily. And that's because all women wear trousers sometimes, have short hair. And so the whole question of passing is actually, I'm so interested that you came to this through Mel Larson passing is so complicated because in Mm. some ways it's terrible to pass but I still pass as a straight woman sometimes and I think should I just tell them or not and can I be bothered and what would it cost me passing isn't the greatest thing but in another way it makes your life easier
0: yeah I think what struck me the most in passing and when I read Judith Butler's essay was the combination between the jealousy between Claire and Irene Irene Mm -hmm. and how does that jealousy of obviously involving race and then passing. Something but then more about jealousy. I read the jealousy as obviously Claire is able to pass as a white woman and yeah. she does it successfully. And then even in front of her husband, which I think is very problematic in the text, and Irene isn't able to do so. And she projects all this kind of resentful so feelings towards And you think that's Claire? all around um,
1: Claire being able to pass?
0: Yes, but then Judith Butler explained that there is something more going on underneath, and that there's almost this relationship between them, and that's the real passing. And I didn't notice it the first time I read the book because I was so focused on the postcolonial reading of passing yeah. that I completely missed it.
1: That's so interesting. Um, but do you think she's that Irene is jealous, or did she think that Claire should be in solidarity with her, and she's getting away with something by not being?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. I think there is some jealousy definitely there. But I do think the lack of solidarity does
1: dig at Irene a lot. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Claire's passing means that she gets out of all that white privilege yeah. for herself, for her child. And I think Irene's going, nah, no, you don't get away with that girl. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it is interesting. And I think I find the ending so interesting because it's so ambiguous. The fact that Claire dies suddenly no one really knows what happened? Did he push, through? Did he push yeah. her? Yeah, exactly. And again, I feel like that's very interesting. Yeah. I think image for me, after I read Butler's essay, with the whole is she suppressing all of those homoerotic feelings completely, and mm-hmm. is she destroying them, or you know, you can read it in very different sort of ways. Is, yeah. There's so much depth into that book with just that great theory, I think.
1: Yeah. The way I've always read it is that Irene's partner, or I guess husband, Mm -hmm. Brian, right? She notices that Claire notices, that he's noticing Claire. Mm -hmm. And her privilege comes from being in a straight relationship, doesn't Mm. it? And her privilege comes from being in a straight relationship with a doctor, even though he's black, he's a doctor. She's a lot of privilege, class privilege from her heterosexual life. And she's not going to lose that to Claire, is she? So, I mean, in my view, there's there's something going on around passing as heterosexual for the same reasons that you might want to pass as black, right? Or as white. I where heteronormativity means you are privileged if you're heteronormative, if you're heterosexual. Passing as white means you get white privilege. And there's, both of those are going on there. And what there is, is a lack of solidarity between the women, isn't there?
0: You mentioned the female solidarity in your article as well from what i understood that you suggested that among women trans women and cis lesbian women straight women there's not sometimes only a lack of solidarity but empathy mm-hmm. how do you see cis straight women writing about lesbians trans women do you think this should be done and do you think this is an act of
1: solidarity i mean look what shakespeare wrote about more about a million things didn't just write about being people like him like, yeah. like if we think that you can't There's a real lack of imagination to think we can't write about things that aren't exactly about us. And the more we write about something, the more we understand it. I also think there's not a really clear straight line between being cis and being trans, being Mm -hmm. straight and being gay, being white and being black. I mean, we know that these binaries are created by society to draw Mm -hmm. a line under it. And on this side, you're privileged. On that side, you're not. But most things are way more of a continuum. Mm -hmm. And who does it serve to not notice the continuum? but serves those for whom there's an absolute whiteness or maleness mm-hmm. or straightness. doesn't serve anybody who actually is along that continuum somewhere, but not over there.
0: Do you think queer literature is political by default?
1: First of all, I don't know if I can even decide really easily what queer literature is. Mm-hmm. If you said to me, what's queer literature, I'd have to say... I find lots of Shakespeare in queer literature. I find Emily Dickinson in queer literature. There's queer reading, and you can read things that weren't intended to be queer literature mm-hmm. as queer. So the whole category of what is queer literature is actually worth thinking about. In terms of it being political, I think similarly you can decide that something is queer for reasons that have liberatory potential and for reasons that are discriminatory. So it's about how that work is used, to what end. whom more than it is but saying this is or is not political this is or is not queer it's more about how it's used and by whom and why and for what end i mean why do i want to talk about shakespeare sonnets with you or 12th night why would i teach that to you there are all kinds of reasons i might teach that in a class what am i teaching it for and it doesn't mean by political too um if we mean laying bare the sort of um power dynamics that are going on in ways that we haven't seen before, if we think that means that that's what we mean by political. Have you read Virginia Wolf on this in twenty nine? Yeah. Because she talks yeah. about the difference between women in fiction and women in fact. When she says in there women in fiction they seem to be most amazing creatures. But basically, but women, in fact, were basically beaten and thrown around the room. So how women are imagined in literature written by men, which is what she's mostly... See, what she finds, she's astonished. She goes to the British Library. She can't find anything about women written by women. And she's going, whoa, what the fuck here? In literature written by men, they seem to glorify women when in fact women were so badly treated and what she says by the end of it is we just need a lot more women writing about women's experience so we can actually of it <laughs> because to this point 1929 we can have it and then the whole generation of feminist scholars come along and reclaim mm-hmm. women's from earlier periods and read them and say we do know about women's experience wolf didn't know wolf didn't get to go to university
0: so you mentioned the 1970s feminism in your article what do you think was the impact it had on the way women wrote about women and
1: their relationship with each other. Nineteen seventies for literary feminism, you mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. I think that by the time, um, by the time there was feminism in literature departments, that is, in English departments, there was already feminism in the world. That feminism came into English departments because women were in the streets marching, because women were walking out of marriages, because women were saying. This isn't good enough. Women are saying equal, pay, pay for equal work, childcare, access to abortion. <laughs> women in the streets were saying, we want all of these things. And suddenly the three women in the massive English department said, well, look, we should be looking at work by women in the English department because women in the world are actually saying pay attention to us. So I think that there were always activists and writers who were writing about, act, writers are all often at the forefront of what a society is doing in terms of social change. So women writers at any moment in time, the women writers who we um, talk about mostly and when we teach, would have been very aware of the feminist movement that was happening. So they would have been more influenced by feminism than by English department.
0: Do you think we should split the way we approach literature into more than feminist theory and gender and queer theory? Do you think these are the correct terms to name sometimes heavily
1: complicated discussions and topics. I don't know if there are correct terms. I think at at any particular time, we try to point out things we aren't already doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we started using feminists, I would have encountered feminist literary theory first in the 80s, and it felt like that opened something up that we hadn't been doing already in language departments or when we read, and then queer did the same thing. It's like. When you get a new word for something, it names an experience you might have already had but not recognized. So I don't know if they're the correct terms. I think these terms are always shifting. And then once we figure out what we can figure out from these terms, we'll probably go on to other terms. So not static, mm-hmm. we will always use them. They're useful.
0: I want to ask you one more question. So you mentioned, in quote, Simone de Beauvoir, and she famously said,
1: one must become a woman. One is not born, but rather becomes a woman, yes. How do you
0: understand that through a queer lens?
1: That's a really, really good question. I think that the time she was writing, she noticed that it wasn't obvious that people necessarily would become women. This little blob of human flesh comes out and... Doctors take a glancing look at the genital region and make a determination based on what they think looks like a penis or not. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people spend 20 years trying to teach that little blob of human flesh to behave like what we think a woman is. Mm -hmm. And that's what she could see when she was right in mid 20th century. What we see now is that, you know what, we don't really understand what else is going on in in that child's body. So through a queer lens, I guess we could say that it's never obvious that you're going to become a woman, even if someone tells you you are at birth. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Thank you for the conversation and that discussion. Oh, I really enjoyed Um, it. Thanks
1: for reading my work so carefully.
0: Thank you for listening
1: to another
0: episode of Women Get Lit. In the next and last episode of this series, I'll be speaking to a psychologist, Justine, discussing this series' most important themes.